This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swan, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast. My name is Doc Herbert, but you knew that already. That is not why you're here. You are here because last week, or two weeks ago, when I recorded, I said that I was going to have a very special guest, and also a man who needs no introduction. That is especially true in these parts. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show. Actually, before I tell you who it is, I just want to remind you that we are brought to you by our sponsors, Born Again Human Taxidermy, and also Easel Knievel, Daredevil Art Gallery, and Extreme Face Painting. Please give a warm Platinum Sombrero welcome, as only you can, to Dylan Short. Hey, buddy. Welcome back. Hi, buddy. It's very, uh, this is a surreal moment. I did not think we would be doing one of these again. I thought for sure I'd have you on 643. By the way, congrats on being the first person to come on and do a 643 with me. And I, I thought TPS was shelved. And then you made the bet. And um, for the 2022 season, it looks like some of these bets we've made may be coming home to roost. You know, you got to be careful whenever you, you start uh, start running your mouth on Twitter, as I, as I certainly learned. And, uh, you know, I said, I said that I would bring the show back for, through the end of the season. We'll see how frequently they are. But I tell you what, when we, uh, when we started recording 643, um, you know, it just felt like old times. And, you know... I've always said you were the best podcaster that Braves Country ever had, so uh, it's an honor to have you on. So for I just want to point out, hold on, I just want to point out that when I started 643, the Braves were sucking, but when you made the bet, all of a sudden the Braves turned it around, and now look where they are. <laughs> maybe maybe this is the good luck charm. Maybe, uh, maybe as long as we uh, stick around, then uh, they'll keep winning division titles, so... Uh, certainly looking a little bit more feasible than it was a couple weeks ago. But before we dive into the Braves talk, for anybody who has not been following along with Dylan, first off, shame on you, why don't you tell everybody what you've been doing and give us a brief synopsis on the past four and a half months since you stepped away from the TPS microphone. 
Well, so when we stepped away from TPS, our last episode was February 17th. And this was after, you know, Doc and I had figured out kind of for a while. Doc was kind of done with it the year before. I was kind of there with him to a point. We had decided that we wanted to go out on top. Not all that often you get the chance to. So that's kind of why I tried to talk him into finishing out 2021. Thank the Lord that I that I did because hard to top winning a World Series to be your your ending. Um, but since then, I, I I most of you know that I'd been at 680 the fan interning there for quite a while as Turtle. Well, I got to do a lot of the I got to do some fill-in work actually when the Braves were. On their postseason run, they liked me enough over there, and I finally got some people up in management there who, uh, who who had known me from before. Big thanks to Matt Edgar for giving me the opportunity, and they approached me uh, maybe a week before our last episode, maybe. Uh, and he had said that he wanted to do a podcast for he wanted me to do a podcast for Six Eighty the Fan. And since I had known that Doc was already going to leave, I was like, well, you know, okay. And then that morphed from a podcast into hey, we also want you to do a show on Saturday mornings. And then I, I met the social media director over there. We got it all figured out. And lo and behold, the 643 is born. And now I, uh, I, you, you can't not hear me. I'm, I'm, out, I'm over there as many times as they'll let me. I'm doing a lot of pregame work. As a matter of fact, this next week or so of stuff, uh, you'll, you won't be able to get me out of your ear holes. I'll be, doing, uh, I'll be doing pregame quite a bit and then doing the audio fun bag over the All-Star break. 643 Podcast is a lovely show, Dylan, and I was honored to be the first guest that you had on it. So, uh, you know, even if we're not able to do this every week, uh, there are certainly places to uh, to hear Dylan, uh, so make sure to tune into 643. But we are here on TPS right now. We are here to talk Braves baseball. So, Dylan, I have to I have to tell you, when we initially were going to do this, we were going to record on Tuesday, and then due to a scheduling <laughs> snafu... Basically what, what caused it. us to have to end the run the first time? Yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, you know, just because we love doing it doesn't mean we suddenly have the time again. But uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm really glad that, that we waited, because one thing that I was really going to drill into was um, Ian Anderson. You know, it's if if you've been watching during during the last 33 games, or at any point of this season, really, but it, it stood out a lot during Ian's starts over the last 33 games because the team has been 26-7. and seven. Um, There's something that's just not working. And then, you know, went out and faced a Cardinals team on Tuesday. I mean, it's actually a, a, a decent team. You know, they're, they're not setting the world on fire right now, but they are a decent team. And uh, and he had a, a an okay outing, five innings, uh, just allowed the one run, and that was in the first inning on on a little bit of BS contact in some cases. So, um, but I still didn't come away with like a really warm, fuzzy feeling about the fact that he is going to be getting meaningful innings going forward. Now, you did make the point when we were on six four three that as long as you have Ian Anderson as your four or five, that's fine. He doesn't need to be a number one to be okay and to just kind of eat some innings. But did you see anything the other day that gave you? any reason to think that he's like turning it around i wish i could say that i did but watching that game i was really just thankful that it ended up at the score that it did because it's been the case for him for a while he just can't put hitters away and what that leads to is longer innings you get into three two counts a lot it's a lot of higher stress pitches and then you see him give up a lot of two out hits because he just doesn't have a pitch that can really fool anybody and I think that's when you're talking about Ian, one of the one of the things that's such a drastic difference when you look at him now versus what you saw in 2020 
when he came up is he just doesn't have the same bat missing ability that the rest of these young arms do for the Braves. And this is something that you and I had talked about with Ian for a long time. I think going all the way back to that first season that we had done, where we had mentioned that Ian was more of a high floor than he was a high ceiling. And one of the, that the reason he was taken third overall was not because he was viewed as the best prep pitcher in the draft, but because he was a, a good cost savings on a guy that you could pretty much circle and say, yep, that's a big league arm. And then it allowed you. To, I think that was this. That was the draft with Kyle Muller and Bryce Wilson and Joey Wentz, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. And uh, what that allowed you to do was to go over slot to sign the others. So in that instance, you, we can thank Ian Anderson for for being able to get Kyle Muller and, and some of these other guys. But 2020 came up, and he came up and was kind of dominant from the get-go and it fooled a lot of people not I don't want to say fooled because he went out there and he earned it he was still facing major league hitters it's a different environment you know obviously there was no video in 2020 there was no people in the stands so the the feel was different it was kind of it almost was more like exhibition games or at least that's probably how it felt like to the players but he was able to go out there and get a ton of swing and miss which and, and his command was really good which was the difference because Going up through the minors, that had not been the case with Ian. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why it took Ian, why Ian had gotten passed up by a couple of the other guys on his rise up was was the fact that he struggled with walk rates. And if you're a guy that doesn't have the premium arm talent, and we say that as if he didn't have, he would have had, he would have been considered a premium arm probably seven or eight years ago. But nowadays, if you're topping at 95, that's middle of the pack. And it's hard to play up in the zone with 95 anyway, but one thing that was mentioned was his spin rates. And you and I talked about that quite a bit in regards to Ian Anderson, about whether or not the the low spin rates were something that concerned us. And for the changeup, it's obviously not. You don't want your changeup to spin very much. That's how you get good action on it, and that's how you fool hitters. But for your fastball... In today's day and age, if you can't play up in the zone with a fastball, then it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to rear back and get strikeouts when you need to. And unfortunately, that's what we've seen from Ian all year long. To me, he just needs a pitch that kind of moves the other way. But that's, that is an off-season thing. It's not like he can just put together a slider and show up with it, start throwing it in his next start. You know, this is something that, this is really an off-season fix. Uh, to kind of get him where he needs to be. Because this is, you know, he's got five days between starts, you know. And so there's there's kind of only so much that he can realistically drill into any of the, the macro-level things that are kind of going on with him. But what do you do at this point? You can hide him at five. Do do you start looking at bringing up like a Kyle Muller to make a spot start to see if the, the control strides that he's made down in AAA are amounting to anything do you take a gamble on Waskar Anoa to see if, if I know that he's been inconsistent down in AAA some days it looks like he's flirting with no hitter and then some days he's given up three runs and four and a third I don't know if those guys are like on the Kyle Wright track like they're trying to keep them down in AAA and let them just soak it all in and not kind of sully any progress they're making um what do you do I think with Waskar, for sure, you're planning on the Kyle Wright mode. You're planning on him staying down there the whole time. One of the reasons he's looked as inconsistent as he has is because he's been using that changeup a whole lot more. 
uh, especially his last start out there. He didn't throw as many change-ups as he'd been in some of his other starts, but he was working it in much more effectively, and it was getting swing and miss on it. And I think for, for the Braves and for Waskar, what you say this season is we're, we are developing a third pitch for him. And if that means he stays at AAA with Mike Merritt the whole time, I think that's perfectly fine. Ian's got a 445 FIP, so it's not like... It's not like he's the worst number five out there right now. I think even to, to some extent, you just kind of eat it. You could call up Kyle Muller and see if those gains are, are for real, and I think that there's some merit to that. Obviously, Kyle's not as bad as he was his, his first start in the bigs this year. He's certainly not that bad. We've seen him pitch well before. But even Muller has a lot of the same questions that Ian has. Now, Muller has much more premium stuff, a much better fastball, uh, a curve that's got more horizontal movement, but he's another guy that runs up pitch counts because he really struggles to either A, throw strikes, or B, throw balls that are close enough to induce swing and miss. And this is that's one of those areas where that's a big leap from AAA to the bigs. And it's not one that really gets talked about a ton, but it's probably the biggest area of change between AAA hitters and major league hitters is if you're going to get them to chase, it's got to look like a strike. It can't be, you have to be able to throw your breakers for a strike in order to get them to chase the ones that are just off the plate. They can't all be waste pitches. And I think for Muller, that's the one thing that you look to see is, is he throwing his breaking balls for strikes and and competitive balls, or are they mostly waste pitches that generate swing and miss with some of the more aggressive AAA hitters? I don't really know. I think we'll see Kyle Muller get another start. I actually don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we see Tucker Davidson get another shot this year at some point. But I certainly think, I don't think the Braves are going to look to send Ian down unless you go and you add somebody at the trade deadline that you know you can rely on to be that that same quality of fifth starter day in and day out. No doubt. And and I don't necessarily think that they would send him down. I know that he's got options, but I think that if anything it would be like a, a phantom IL stint, you know, like he uh he's got, you know, a quick case a case of gout or or something, you know, just some something to take him down just for a few days and just kind of give him a little bit of a reset. You know, the trade deadline is coming up, so you know, Ian Anderson being a five and being the worst pitcher on your staff is honestly a problem that a lot of teams would like to have. Um, but I tell you what, for as frustrating as Ian has been, I have been equally impressed by Charlie Morton's bounce back. Uh, that start against Cincinnati. Look, I know Cincinnati is bad. Okay, they're still but pretty good offense though. The way that his pitches have been moving for the past four starts or so, it's. I was really nervous about, you know, what do you do in a playoff series? You go freed, right, one, two, and then you give the ball to Charlie just based on track record. But, I mean, anymore, it's not, it, that's not just I'm giving you the ball because, you know, you're older than Ian Anderson. I'm giving you the ball because you look like you can mow down a really good offense with that stuff. That curveball is finally starting to work. He finally was able to dial in the mechanics back on it, and he, he looks like he's back to me. Yeah, Charlie looks Charlie looks back to being Charlie, and it's really been about the last month since that Pittsburgh start where he racked up 12 strikeouts. Since then, he's looked like a normal Charlie Morton. Yeah, there's been a clunker or two. Not really a clunker, but, but a couple of games that weren't great in that stretch. But even so, he's got the swing and miss back. And as long as Charlie's getting swings and misses, he'll be able to keep you in ball games and, and throw a, a game that you can win. And I think... With Charlie, part of it was you were never not going to give him at least one start in the postseason. That's where Charlie's made his money the last few years is 
being regarded as one of the better postseason pitchers of the last decade or so. So that was always going to happen. But I think for Charlie, and even though the Braves wasted that last outing against Cincinnati, that was an 87 game score for him. That's the best he's had this season, the best he's had in quite a while. And I think for a guy like Charlie, yeah, you want to win that start for sure. But I think for Charlie, it's just more important for him to see the result and see how good he was. And I think that's allowed him to iron it back in and kind of dial it back to, to where he wanted it to be. And it's not just the curveball. He's starting to get some more swing and miss on the fastball as well. And he's starting to be able to play them off of each other. Like I mentioned with, with Kyle Muller, part of Charlie's issue, Charlie was getting movement on his curveball all year long, but he wasn't throwing it for a strike enough to entice hitters to swing when he's throwing it off the plate. And that's the big play for these guys that are so reliant on curveballs, like Max Freed. Max Max is kind of a unicorn where he'll throw his curveball for a strike more often than he'll throw it for a ball. Most pitchers, when a, when a breaking ball is their put-away pitch, it's generally going to be off the plate. Charlie's no exception. His curveball, I bet if you looked at it and you looked at the amount of put-away chances he had on it, I would bet you more often than not, they were balls that he was inducing swings outside of the zone. That wasn't happening for him early in the year. So good to see Charlie getting that back. And you see Spencer and the way he's going right now. And I I think at the moment, we can kind of say if the Braves win the Ian Anderson start, they have a chance to go on a a good run of four or five wins. Now, that said, when, when you can win three or two out of three or three out of four here and there, then obviously you're still set up to to win and go to the postseason. But I think I think the the relief for the Braves now is they at least feel great about their first two in the postseason. Probably still feel really good about Charlie. Like I still feel really good about Charlie in the postseason. And we're still not quite sure on Spencer Strider. We're still just kind of projecting about whether or not we think he will have issues, just because most pitchers do. So that and even that just remains to be seen. Yeah, and Strider's just a wild card, and it's entirely possible that he gets to the to the hundred innings point in the season, and the and the team says, "Look, as long as you still feel like you can keep rolling, we're just gonna keep going with you." You know, it it feels weird to look at somebody who look. I know that that Max is obviously he's he is not just our ace; he's the ace. But when you're seeing Spencer Strider going out there, and and same thing with Charlie. Look, I know it's just the Reds, but the dude struck out eleven and six innings, and he allowed one hit and one run. And this is coming off. A very similar start before, and then he carved up the Dodgers in the start before that. I mean, this if there's been some talk about is it Harris versus Strider for Rookie of the Year? For me, it's Strider because he is like Harris has come up and he has been outstanding, but Strider is mowing everybody down. But he also having having that um, having the bullpen experience and just being somebody that can be uh, the comparison for Josh Hader gets kind of thrown out for him if he were to becoming a late inning guy just because he's got the velo and he, he's got the super. Uh, eye-popping strikeout numbers. So he's going to be a weapon in the playoffs in some way, but however you can figure it, uh, Freed, Wright, Morton, and then you can get somebody at the trade deadline. Team is really well set up. And, you know, Mets fans were going to do what Mets fans do, and they they talked a lot of... uh, crap about our our schedule and you know and it's it is fair that yeah we we were beating the A's we were beating the Pirates but beating or you know winning 14 in a row is hard no matter how you cut it but they're 12 and 7 since that so they're um that's over 600 winning percentage that tracks out to over 100 wins and over the course of a season and now you're starting to do it against the Giants the Dodgers should have won that series uh Philadelphia who's just on the the fringes of playoff contention same thing for St. Louis here even though some of these teams are um they've fallen back a little bit I mean these are still much better teams and so every night you've got or every series you go into it feeling like you know not just we can win 
but we can probably sweep this, you know, and you were in the first inning of the game tonight against St. Louis and that there is a sweep on the line here. So uh, feeling really good about where things are right now and looking forward. So over there's 11 games left um, counting tonight, but after this, there's three games against the Nationals this weekend, and then we get the Mets at home, three biggest series of the year by far, and then finish up with four games uh, against uh, Washington uh, to go into the All-Star break there. So this weekend, the Braves are going to see Eric Fetty, Patrick Corbin, and Paulo Espino, and they have raked against all three of these guys. And then the Mets series. It's going to be Max versus Max on Monday, Scherzer versus Freed, um... I'm still not really impressed with what Max Scherzer did. I have used this caveat twice about Charlie Morton and Spencer Strider. When he came back, yeah, he had he had six shutout innings against the Cincinnati Reds. So still don't know how he is going to respond against a really good offense that has kind of carved him up in the past. Braves are two and a half out right now. The game against Cincinnati last night was down to the wire. Mets scored uh, six runs in the ninth and tenth inning combined to keep the lead at two and a half. But it's entirely possible that when, uh, whenever the next episode of TPS is recorded, that the Braves are going to be in first place. Isn't it going to be kind of sweet to take first place from the Mets in front of them on our home field? I it's going to be sweet anyway, just because the meltdown is going to be legendary. And the Mets, you can see the Mets fans have already split themselves. Uh, probably half of that fan base has just already accepted that it's going to happen. The other half is starting to get to that point. Even Sal Licata now is starting to understand that, nope, this is this is going to happen. And you brought up the the Braves and, and Mets fans talking about how the Braves were winning against bad teams. Well, now the Mets are playing those bad teams, and it's got to really suck to be playing those bad teams and not be able to pick up a single game in the standings and actually lose a game in the standings. Because while the, the Mets have gone... Uh, four and two so far in July. The Braves have gone five and one, so <laughs> can't be can't be a good day to be a Mets fan. Uh, but you and I talked about this on six four three, where I almost feel bad. I don't ever feel bad because it is the Mets, and it's just hilarious how much the universe hates them. But I do feel bad that when the Braves take this division and end up winning it by like six or seven games, people are going to say, "Oh, same old Mets with a collapse." And I, I genuinely don't think that's what this is. It's just that the Braves are a better team. And I, I think the Mets are going to end up in the playoffs anyway because there are three wild card spots. But I think it's just a case that the Braves are just better. And that's reflected all over the map. Braves have been the best team since May 23rd. Shocker that that coincides so closely with when Michael Harris got brought up. Fangraphs now has the Braves at the second highest number to win a World Series at 15.2% to LA's 15.4%. Uh, and you're starting to see everybody just kind of figure out and kind of kind of feeling like it's just a matter of time. And you're talking about a team that's still going to get Kirby Yates back, that's still going to get Ozzy Albies back. Um, we'll see on Mike Soroka, supposed to get him back at some point, and that's another one that I could look at in the bullpen and say, hey, at, at the very least, maybe, maybe he can replace Jesse Chavez. Because Chavez, I think, is getting close to that point where he starts getting mashed around a little bit because you have that you have that finite amount of innings from Jesse Chavez where he'll look incredible and no one can touch him and he's just a super stud and then people kind of figure him out and all of a sudden he reverts back to Josh Tomlin and i think if you can get Soroka back say 
I don't know, say that back in July or beginning of August, and you start telling me that Mike Soroka is now a one-inning to two-inning low-leverage guy in your bullpen, uh, and I still think the Braves go out and target another right-handed reliever as well. Then you start talking about you have Kirby Yates come back, Kenley Jansen is coming back. Now I think you start talking about a team that you say, if you've got a lead, if you're losing to the Braves after like the fifth inning, what do you do? Because you're not coming back on any of these arms. Just based on, uh, we were just talking about how good the starting pitching has been, and we could do a deep manifesto on how good the relievers have been as well. And I think that just kind of building that super pen, it worked so well last year. And it's different inputs this year, and you still got a long way to go. But of the last 33 games, the Braves have won 26, right? But of the seven that they've lost, one of them, or excuse me, two of them were within one run. And then um, two more were two run losses. So, I mean, they're, they're right there in every single game. So get your runs, get them early, and get them against Ian Anderson. Because honestly, there you can make some incremental upgrades. I don't know about Darren O'Day. I know he's a great clubhouse guy, and they really prioritize that. This is why Guillermo Heredia still has a roster spot. And, and you, can, you can't really just go lopping off all of the, the really good guys that keep it loose in there. But, you know, it's nothing personal. We're just trying to win a World Series here. So uh, you, can, you can start looking at, at certain guys you can, you can knock off and just build, build that super pen. And so if you do have to take somebody like Strider and drop him, drop him in, the, the, uh, in the bullpen for three, four innings in the playoffs or take somebody like Soroka, condense his workload just to give it, Give him something manageable just at first. And just in case anybody didn't see, uh, Mike Soroka got hit on the knee by a comebacker last week. So it's kind of delaying his rehab uh, a little bit as well. Uh, not expected to completely derail everything, but, uh, you know, obviously not a, gr- a great development for him. So, um, but eventually, eventually, Mike, like you said, he will come back and he will be an, be an impact player with Ozzy. Uh, hopefully he will be back soon. Hopefully he's uh, apparently he's back in the uh, clubhouse now. He's hanging out pregame at least. Uh, still on the scooter. He's got a little bit before he's going to be back at least uh, probably four or five weeks. Um, but you know, there's a couple of guys that have already come back. Uh, two of them this week: Eddie Rosario and Tyler Matzik. One of them I'm starting to feel pretty good about the return, and the other is a little wait and see. So Rosario, you know, it wasn't going to take much for him to. Um, to bring his lineup, I think that he was hitting like 034 when he and on went on the IL with the the hole in his like, eye. Was he like three for 34 or something like that? Yeah, I mean he was it, he dug himself such a deep hole uh, early in the season that his line is just going to be nasty this entire season. But you, when he hit the home run last night, part of the the back to back with Ozuna, I just looked and like, oh good, he got his OPS up to 371. That's OPS. <laughs> You know, so it, obviously he's got a long way to go. All he has to do is just be better than Adam Duvall. Because if they're, if they're going to keep it like a legit platoon, you know, Duvall hits really well against lefties, Rosario hits righties just fine, then he just needs to be better than Adam. And Adam's only hitting, you know, if you're a batting average guy, Adam's only hitting 206. Rosario doesn't have the same level of power that Duvall. Duvall does, but he's got a 20-homer bat when he's going well. So uh, fantastic there for me. Um, Tyler Matzik came back the other night, and... It he looked kind of amped to be back, and with with Tyler, maybe even more than anybody, I can I can certainly understand why he would be. He's the he you know his 
dealing with the yips is very well chronicled. So he, he might have felt like he already had his career taken away once, and now to be, be able to come back from something that was obviously causing him a lot of stress, um, I, I think that he was probably more appreciative than just your standard reliever would have been. But I was not as impressed by the stuff as before, for sure. Um, did see him hit 95. Velo's still down. But you made a really interesting point to me about his arm speed being slowed way down. Yeah, and that's the part that worries me. I didn't like seeing him throw more 92s than 94s. Uh, you're sitting mostly 93. That's not that's not Tyler Matzik's prime velocity. I'm not saying that he can't succeed at that velo, but for what he likes to do, which is attack up in the zone with the fastball and then break off that curveball low and inside to righties, that's what made him so deadly against righties is you know the ability to come in and, and, and make it to where you had to react faster to get to that fastball up and in and then kind of have you way out in front on that that curveball down and in. What I saw from him, aside from the velo, one, he had no idea where the ball was going, like pitch to pitch. He had no idea where it was going. But the arm was noticeably slower. Like it, it, it looked, if you go back and you look at clips of him pitching last year, particularly in the postseason, Matzik has a fairly, a fairly violent motion. Now, it, it's smooth to a point, but it's a very quick motion. And, and you can tell he's ramping up and throwing hard. It's not an easy 100 like Spencer Strider's. Like, there's, there's some oomph to it. I did not see that at all. And that, to me, says one of two things. And I hope it's the latter. Either he's toning it down because he didn't have any command, and so he was trying to just throw strikes, which is not ever advisable because whenever you try to aim a pitch, you're not going to throw strikes. It's just not going to work. Uh, because your body's not going to be in sync, you're not your body's not going to be in tune, and you're going to be kind of tensed up and tighter, and it's gonna it's gonna lead to balls anyway. Or his shoulder is still not great, and he doesn't want to really let it loose because it still hurts to really turn it loose. And if that's the case, that's the part that worries me because shoulders are such a tricky thing to deal with in baseball, particularly for pitchers. But we have seen it with some position players. Brian McCann is a perfect example. Brian McCann, in his younger days as a Braves catcher coming up, had a really strong arm. Wasn't always accurate. He wasn't always the fastest in the pop time. But he had a really strong arm. And then he messed up his rotator cuff for his labrum. Can't remember which. And all of a sudden, he had a noodle behind the plate. Pitching, it's very stressful on your body. The human body is not supposed to throw a baseball that violently or that hard or that fast. Uh, it's just not supposed to happen. That's why you do have a shelf life. But if he's slowing up his arm speed like that, one, it's not going to come out as fast. But two, it gives the hitter that much more time to see it. And I, I have a, I'm worried that it will greatly reduce his effectiveness. And I know we can say whatever we want about, oh, we can have him in low leverage for a while. But Everybody was saying, myself included, I'm sure you were too, that the exciting thing about getting Matzik back was that he would take Will Smith's place as the highest leverage lefty. And if what we saw was not just a case of rust, but him still not feeling great, that's that's not a very good thing to see. I'll put it that way. And and it's also entirely possible that when he was warming up in the pen, he's just like, man, I got no control right now. Right. It's very possible he just didn't have it. I mean, we've seen Max before be 92, 93 just because he didn't have it. We've seen Spencer some nights be 96, 97 instead of 100. Some nights you just don't have it. It's just, you know, your first start back from injury, 
we're going to scrutinize you a little bit more. So I kind of hope that the Braves build up a big enough lead tonight to where we can see him again. Because I really want to see... I want to see him again to see if his velo is still down or if that was just an aberration. I'm not much of a velo watcher on the daily, right? But I was very much paying attention to that. His first pitch was 93. And I'm like, mm, something's still not right there. So I didn't notice the arm speed thing. I'm not as uh, pre-programmed to, to notice those things. I stopped playing baseball at 11 because I was terrible at it. But, uh, but you know, this is why we, we need your insight on the Platinum Sabero podcast, Dylan Short. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully it's nothing. Hopefully he was just amped. Hopefully it was just kind of one of those days. But I don't know. That's somebody that really... It can't be stated enough what he did throughout the postseason. I mean, even if he never throws another competitive pitch again, then, I mean, that guy's a postseason legend. Tyler Matzik should never have to buy a beer anywhere in the city of Atlanta for the rest of his life. But. Oh, yeah, no. He's, he's an Atlanta Brave. Like, even before the World Series, like, what he did to the Dodgers, what he did to Mookie alone, like, that's yeah. legendary. Yeah, it's un- unbelievable. So, I mean, and you obviously, you know, he, he reached the top of the mountain, but as I said before, uh, trying to win a ro- World Series here, and that's going to be a lot easier with Tyler Matzik from 2021 than it is from what we've seen this season so far. But, you know, it's still, you know, it's a long season, you know, from where we are now, not to mention in the, in the entire scope of things, and it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So um, it will be nice to see the team get a, get a little break soon. Uh, you know, we're going to have a couple guys going to the All-Star game, but... You know, they've had a uh, game every day for the past two weeks, and I think they've, like I said, there's uh, counting tonight, there's 11 games in 11 days. So it'll be nice for most of these guys to get a, a four day hiatus. Um, Acuna's already going to start, which is kind of a shame because I feel like he uh, he could probably use a couple days off to, to reset as well. I think the, the power is kind of uh, being zapped because he's not, he got out of practice for being. Um, being in this type of baseball shape. So um, I think Dansby finds his way in. I think that uh, Contreras is going to wind up starting at DH, and I hope to see Freed in there as well. I don't know about any of the other guys. I think there's a there's a chance that you see Kyle Wright in there as well, just from how good he's been. Freed's a shoo-in. He's the second most valuable pitcher in baseball this year. Uh, I think I think you'll see Darno. I still think Wilson will start, but I think you're right. I think you could see William and Wilson both start which would just be awesome to see anyway. Uh, it would be a good sign because we kind of don't talk about William anymore with how Michael Harris has done. Um, I think third base is probably locked up. I doubt you see Riley. Although I wish you'd see him in a home run derby because I think he could, he could plant some balls 500 feet. Um, Ronald's going to start. I, think we're, I still think there's an outside chance that the Braves could have more all-stars than any other team in baseball this year, which would be quite a sign of where the Braves have come. I mean, it's it's all just such a big popularity contest anyway. And, you know, if you're going on numbers alone, look, we all love Ronald Acuna. That stat line is not deserving of the most votes in the All-Star game, <laughs> you know, strictly from a performance base. But, it, you know, it's it's about getting just getting the stars out and just having him out there. He's just one of those guys that can go off at any time. So would you be surprised if he if he homers to lead off the All-Star game? You know? No, and absolutely besides, not. With, with with Snit being being the manager for for the All Star Game, you know that uh, at least uh, even if they don't get voted in as starters uh, for Dansby or Contreras or Freed, which I I don't as much as I Sandy uh, Alcantara, much as I love that, it's if, it's got to be Sandy. If Sandy's not the starter, then you need to do away with the whole system. Yeah, and and look, I, I understand that, that there are some people out there that they want they want Max to be the best. And I do too. That's, 
But so yeah, exactly. Yeah, so do I. But and he, by the just, way, I'm not saying that I would take Sandy Alcantara over Max Fried. I'm just saying to this point in time, Sandy's been better than every pitcher in baseball. So you reward him for that. Now, long run, I'd rather have Max than have Sandy. I don't. I mean, you can tell me whatever you want. I've seen what Sandy does, and Sandy being a, a mainly sinker ball pitcher, sure, I like that he's running the way he's running it right now, and he deserves to be rewarded right now. I still don't think he's a better pitcher than Max Fried. Well, and relative to the contract too, uh, the uh, Sandy is locked in for five and fifty, and Max is gonna get more than that. Oh, for hopefully, sure. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's from us, but yeah, Max is gonna get more than that. So, uh, yeah, and that's not a slight on Max, but I tell you the reason why Sandy Alcantara deserves to start is because he took a Braves offense and he struck out either 13 or 14, whatever it was, it was a lot, and it was embarrassing to watch. But it was kind of like DeGrom level, where it's like, this dude is so on right now, it's almost an honor to be carved up by somebody that's that good. You know, sometimes, go full Freddy Gonzalez here, sometimes you really do have to uh, have to tip your cap. But Snit's going to make sure that some of these guys get in there, you know, if uh, even if, if uh, Trey Turner wins out over Dansby, which last I saw, it's neck and neck, so... Um, if you are hearing this and there's still time to vote, then please go vote for uh, Dansby and Contreras uh, where you can and, uh, you know, represent. So this is where we are. Reigning champions, fun players. Everybody loves tuning in night, o- night over night. I made the point on 643 about, you know, how you define success in a baseball season. And, yeah, winning titles is great, but it's also great to know that your team's going to win like 95 every season because you spend a lot more time chronologically within the season than you do in the playoffs. So it's nice to sit down and every game feel like, you know what, I, I have a, no matter who it's against, no matter who's pitching, I always feel, for us or for the other team, I always feel like the Braves are right there and um, looking like they could pull one out. But to that end, Spencer Strider is on the mound. He has faced six batters and he struck out all six. Dylan, I feel like we should go watch this. What do you say? Uh, yeah, I'm really wanting to watch it. Um, it's hard to do better than striking out every out that you record. Adam Duvall, though, as I did just notice, made another toot blonde on the bases. Um, which, that that's been a recurring theme for him this year, really even going back into last year. I hate to say this because I love Duvall, but man, he's getting to the point where he might be the worst. He's reaching like Jonathan VR levels of base running, which I don't say lightly. Jonathan VR, for those of you that don't know, is one of the dumbest base runners that I've ever witnessed in a major league game. And I know Duvall's not that dumb, but he's certainly playing like it this season. I need him to figure it out. Maybe, maybe, I don't know if he's watching Wash and Wash is getting him hung out or, or what the deal is, but um, get, him being on second and Arcia hitting into a fielder's choice with Duvall getting out at third, dude, that should never happen. Like, that's, that is simple Little League. If the ball is in front of you and you're at second base, you don't go. If it's behind you, go. Like, that's, that's simple. Um, not, not what I was hoping to see early on. Yeah, and I know that Arcia isn't the fleetest of foot, but there was an outside that was pretty deep in the hole. But I feel like Arcia could have at least um, could have at least challenged on that one. At least made a, who I think it's Sosa that's playing short for them right now. I feel like he could have forced him to make a good throw. But to that end, uh, we are about to start the top of the third, so we will uh, let everyone. Whenever you're listening to this, we will let you get back to whatever else you were doing. But I would like to say, Dylan, the time has gone by too quickly. I've had a blast having you uh, on your own show. So uh, thank you very much. Fancy meeting you here, buddy. I um, 
I really enjoyed being back. I love that you're on the lead now, and you're going to start getting the credit you deserve for what you are for the podcast. So uh, it's nice to see that the Braves are back in the hands of the best Braves pos- podcast that's ever entered the Braves Twitterverse with the Platinum Sombrero. And uh, I can't wait to, to hear all the rest of your episodes this season, buddy. You're going you're gonna to find yourself unable to ever give this up because people just aren't going to let you. Well, we will certainly see about that. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Um, would you like to come back on the show another time? Of course. Um, now you know I technically we found a loophole. I can't. I'm not gonna say it on the show here in case uh, somebody listens to me and closes up the loophole. But rest assured, we found a loophole to where I can recur. I can be like a recurring a recurring character on a show. We'll say as long as you don't stranger things me then I think we're good. Well, that depends on which version of Stranger Things you are talking about. Speaking of which, this season. Haven't finished it yet, but holy cow. So, hmm, on second thought, maybe I'll go watch that instead. Everybody, Braves Country, be nice to each other. Go and do something nice for somebody else. Big thanks to our guest this week, uh, always in our hearts. It's Dylan Short. And we will talk to you soon. Next week? The week after that? Six months from now. Who knows? Stay tuned, and you'll find out here on the Platinum. Sombrero. Together again. Gee, it's good to be together again. I just can't imagine that you've ever been gone. It's not starting over, it's just going 